Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com slash store. Hello, junkies. Hello, hello. Well, our big four plus one equals 50% off sale. Hit us like a ton of bricks. Our goal was to clean out the warehouse of doom to make room for the gangster hardcover, which should be off to the printer in a week or so. And when they're done printing it, they ship it to us. We needed room. We made room. We sold 350 shirts and counting at half off, which cleared out a ton of space for us. So that is awesome. There are still some shirts left in various sizes. At the time I record this, we have some McMurdo murderers, some Rufflin Ridgebacks, a few Buddha City Elite, and Sigler Danger Island shirts. Swing over to scottsigler.com shop if you want to see if your sizes are available. At $7.50 a shirt, it's worth you swinging on over to scottsigler.com shop just to make sure. Sale ends May 1st, but we will be out of everything by then. So, Let's get caught up on the story so far, and then we're going to go grab a barf bucket. Previously on The Gangster, Quentin, Becca, Chodo, and Kimberlin were about to leave Earth orbit when they were instructed they needed to stay to receive a message from Greedock the Splithead, a message delivered by Masal the Efficient. Quentin doesn't know what that message might be, but he knows Masal isn't coming alone. And now, episode number 19 of The Gangster. Parley. The meeting had the formality of a gangland war council. Quentin stood in the Hypatia's salon. The room was supposed to be his refuge from the galaxy, but so much seemed to happen here. On his left, the mass of Michael Kimberlin. On his right, the reassuring presence of Chodo the Bright. Despite the still-healing leg, Chodo was more than a match for either of the thugs standing on the other side of the room. Masal introduced one of the thugs as Wakan Reed. He wore a tan trench coat and a round hat with a flat brim. He looked like a gangster from some cheesy movie. The other thug was a thick-set Sklorno with one crooked eye stalk who went by the name of Gristlehead. She wore ragged, untucked black robes. Quentin guessed her weight at about 300 pounds and her height at 8 feet 6 inches, which made her a touch shorter than Milford. Through the open spaces of Gristlehead's robes, Quentin saw gnarled scars cloudy against her otherwise clear carapace. 
Between the Sklorno and Reed stood Massal. Silver Braid trimmed his black jacket. His clothes were immaculate, but his fur seemed frayed, clumpy. Yellow fibers showing in his eye, the Punch Express trip must have worn him down. Thank you for seeing me, Elder Barnes. I didn't have a choice, Quentin said. Turns out players can't just go where they like if their team owner doesn't want them to. I do apologize for the inconvenience. In any other situation, Quentin would have been delighted to see the little worker. But right now, Massal wasn't a friend. He was the embodiment of Greedock's will. For this meeting, Quentin had asked Becca to stay in the gym with Diablo. If things got rough, Quentin didn't want the baby at risk. Becca had at first refused, but Chodo and Kimberlin assured her they would rather die than let anything happen to Quentin. She acquiesced, perhaps only because the messenger was Massal. She trusted the worker just as much as Quentin did. Two bodyguards, Chodo said. You seem to have come up in Greedock's favor, Massal. The worker's weight shifted from one foot to the other. These are dangerous times, Massal said. Someone is trying to take out Greedock's property. He wanted to make sure I was adequately protected for this trip. Both of the thugs had been disarmed, of course. Commander Watson had insisted the ship that had brought them first dock on the victory so that Massal and his guards could be searched before being shuttled over to the Hypatia. Quentin got the impression that if someone was going to inconvenience Watson and her crew, she was going to use her authority to inconvenience them right back. Let's get this over with, Quentin said. Massal, say what you've come to say. Of course, Elder Barnes. His Magnificence, Greedock the Splithead, saw fit to send me to you directly to convey his concern over the recent attack. He is delighted to know that you and Rebecca Montaigne are healthy. Chodo, he is happy to hear that you perform bravely in defense of Elder Barnes and that you are healing from your wound. Quentin had received a message from Fred just that morning. The detective was in the Purest Nation, looking into some aspect of the hospital attack. Fred hadn't given specifics. When on a case, he rarely did. He had communicated, though, that he still felt Greedock wasn't responsible for the hitman. Quentin wasn't so sure, but Fred knew more about these dangerous games than he did. Greedock sent you all this way to say that? And at such massive expense? Why didn't he just send a message? He sent several, Massal said. Or rather, I have sent them on his behalf. Have you watched any of them? Quentin had not. Even the thought of that cowardly excuse for a leader turned his stomach. It doesn't matter if I watched him or not, Quentin said. You're telling me Greedock sent you this far, that fast, just to say he's happy I didn't die? That is correct, Elder Barnes. Massal's cornea remained clear. No sign of lying. But the worker's eye wasn't his only tell. Massal sounded tired. He also sounded confused. While he had obeyed the will of his shamikath, he didn't understand why he'd been sent to deliver such a rote, perfunctory message. There was more to this. Quentin needed to figure out how much more. Everyone out, he said. Everyone but Massal. Gristlehead twitched. Her coarse black hair stood on end. No, 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 the scarred Sklorno said. Where Massal goes, we go. Reed's nonstop smile widened. Come on, champ. You know what Greedock would say if we leave Massal alone in a situation like this. Don't put us in that spot. The Sklorno acted tough, while Reed appealed to Quentin's understanding 
of what it was like to work for Greedock. I don't care, Quentin said. You can both walk to the shuttle bay, or my large friend can escort you there. Kimberlin drew himself up to his full eight-foot-tall height. I would be happy to show you the way, he said. Reed stared up at the mountain of heavy G, trying, and failing, to not look intimidated. Gristle had chirped something that Quentin didn't understand. Try it, Chodo said to her. I will snap you in half. Masal raised his petty palp hands. There is no need for this. Wakan, Gristlehead, please go with Chodo and Mr. Kimblin to the airlock. Reed glanced at the worker. You're just Greedock's messenger. You're not Greedock. Don't think you can tell me what to do. Masal turned in place, stared straight up at the trench coat wearing human. I assure you that I speak with the full authority of Greedock the Splithead. If you believe it is acceptable to ignore my request, I appreciate your position. Together, we will speak to Greedock about this as soon as we return, so that you can communicate to him your feelings on the issue. It is my most sincere hope he agrees with you and is not angry you felt it necessary to argue with his direct representative and to do so in front of valued employees. Reed glared at Masal. The human clearly wanted to argue, but at the same time clearly knew he had no authority. Quentin noted the tension between the two. We'll wait in the airlock, Reed said. He left the salon, followed by the Sklorno, Kimberlin, and Shoto. Quentin gestured to one of the chairs flanking the couch. Have a seat? Thank you, Masal said. He had to hop up a little to climb into a chair made for Quentin's dimensions. Quentin sat on his couch. You look tired. Rough trip? Express relay is a grueling way to travel, the worker said. One is more cargo to be rushed about than a sentient requiring comfort. Three punches in, three out, in one standard day. I do not recommend it. Quentin wondered how big a barf bucket he'd need for that kind of travel. It is not just the trip, however, Masal said. I have spent many hours researching player candidates, a service I used to perform for Hokor. Masal was a scout? The little sentient was full of surprises. Have you found any good prospects? Curls of purple formed on Masal's cornea, accentuating the yellow fibers. One potential player is Paulo Denarda, a quarterback. Greedock insisted I search for potential starting quarterbacks, Elder Barnes. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. 
And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Masal was skilled in many areas. One of those areas was subtle diplomacy, an ability to communicate information without actually saying words that might offend or would betray one side's true intentions. Greedock insisted on finding a potential starting quarterback. That meant the leader didn't think Quentin would heal. And that meant all bets were off. Without saying as much, Masal had just delivered a significant warning. I understand, Quentin said, and I am grateful for that information, but come on, why did he really send you? Masal fidgeted in his seat. I do not know. The decision seemed rushed. He told me to get you as fast as possible to deliver his sentiments. I suggested other members of the organization could perform the function, but he was very specific that I make the trip myself. It made no sense. Masal was a critical part of Greedock's day-to-day operations. Why send the worker on this trip? I have delivered my message, Masal said. I must return. However, Elder Barnes, before I go, there is something you need to know. Have you heard from Carol Tweedy or anyone else regarding her meeting with Greedock? A chill shot through Quentin. Ma Tweedy met with Greedock? Yes, along with John, Jew, George, Tara the Freak, Cliff Frost, Milford, Denver, Kiloyoit, Budoshwek, and Cormorant Bumberpuff. They showed up unannounced and all but forced their way into Greedock's chamber. He was less than pleased. Quentin felt a flush of both anger and fear. What did they discuss? You, Masal said. Carol Tweedy informed Greedock that if anything should happen to you, all of the players present at that meeting, and likely more, would refuse to play in the upcoming season. Anger drained away while the fear ratcheted up, bordered on panic. What in High One's name had they been thinking? Tell me they had a nice talk, Quentin said. Tell me everyone went away happy. I am afraid that would be untrue. 
The talk ended with Carol Tweedy standing on Greedock's pedestal, speaking directly to him. A cascade of goosebumps. Ma, on Greedock's pedestal. That is correct, Massal said. In all my years of service to Greedock, I have never seen another sentient atop the pedestal. Quentin stood, started pacing. What had Ma been thinking? She was trying to protect him, obviously, but she had no idea who she was messing with. Greedock was a merciless killer. Why didn't John stop her? I do not know, Elder Barnes. It seems John Tweedy thinks he has nothing to fear from Greedock. Perhaps John has faced other significant threats, and since he survived them, that skewed his perceptions. John had faced big threats, all right. He'd won a fight to the death with one of the Portath's best warriors. John had had his own run-ins with organized crime. Yes, John was confident and dangerous, but he'd underestimated Greedock. John should have stopped Ma. He hadn't. The visit has altered Greedock's policies, Massal said. He had already increased security due to the attack on the touchback and the attempt on your life in New York City. After Carol Tweedy's visit, he has increased security even further. He no longer allows players or their families to visit his floors on the Kraken's building. I hope she communicated what she needed to communicate, for she will not get another chance. Greedock is not used to being spoken to in such a manner. He does not easily forget such things. John and Ju were safe, for the moment at least, as they were both all pro players. Ma was not. Greedock wouldn't touch her now, not with John and Ju on the team. But they wouldn't be on the team forever. When they were done, via injury or simply aging out of the game, what would Greedock do then? Ma had been trying to protect one of her boys. Now she was in danger. As were John and Ju, the moment their careers ended. Greedock was looking for a new starting quarterback, which meant that soon, if not now, Quentin's life would be forfeit. Becca would not play this year. Did that already make her a possible target of Greedock's wrath? Pyrifor had found out about the baby. Other sentients could, too. Becca and the baby. Ma. John and Ju. Chodo. Every other teammate that had stood up for Quentin. All of them were in danger. Quentin looked at Massal. The worker had done so much for him. Out of duty alone, or also out of friendship. How would that friendship stack up against Massal's role with Greedock? In that moment, Quentin decided to gamble. I'm going to take Greedock out, he said. One way or another, he will not threaten me. He will not threaten my family. I have to do this, Massal. The worker's eye gleamed with curls of light red and pure crimson. Quentin understood the complex emotions those colors showed. Massal was afraid for the life of someone he cared about. He will kill you, Elder Barnes. Make no mistake. If you go against Greedock, you will die. So will everyone you love. How is that different from what'll happen anyway? Massal's pettypalp hands fidgeted. He might let you live if you were to go to him, apologize for your prior transgressions. Apologize? No way. Then you are acting from your heart instead of your head, Massal said. What is more important to you, your pride or the survival of your family and friends. 
The question cut deep. Pride. Was that really why he refused to even consider apologizing? If there was the slightest chance that bending the knee would keep Becca and the baby safe, was he an idiot to not do it? And yet, if he tried, and Greedock didn't accept? This apology, Quentin said. I'm guessing it can't be done from a distance. For the level of animosity between the two of you, and considering that he is your boss, no. In Quith culture, an apology of this kind must be done in person. Which makes me the easiest of all targets, because I go right to him. Precisely, Massal said. That is the very point of an apology, Elder Barnes. You are submitting to your leader, to your Shamakath. As such, you must meet him when and where he chooses. This was a setup. It had to be. Massal was on Greedock's side. Or was he? Instinct fought against logic. Logic was steel, the edge of a knife, a clear line separating black from white. Logic said that Massal belonged to Greedock, mind and soul. But where logic was black and white, Quentin's instincts painted a confusing picture in shades of gray. Massal said one thing, but it felt like he meant another. On the gridiron, Quentin often improvised. When a play broke down and there was no time for strategy, no time to think, he learned to simply react, to have faith that his feet would take him to the right place. He decided to trust his instincts. Wait here, he said to Massal, far more a command than a request. Quentin left the salon, made the short walk to his quarters. In the bathroom, his water shower. Most sentients considered water showers archaic, yet he considered it a luxury, a touch of his home. He gripped the handle that activated the water, but instead of turning it, he pressed a fingertip combination taught to him by Anna Hulsey, the woman who had acted as the Portath interpreter when Quentin and his friends rescued Janine and Fred. Only those in Quentin's absolute trust, Becca, Chodo, and Fred, knew the combination. A click. The wall of the shower moved back slightly. Quentin slid it to the left, opening up a dark space. He stepped inside. Lights switched on automatically. He stood in the secret storage compartment the Portath had built for him, the one that could not be detected by non-Portath tech. On a shelf, hidden by acceleration webbing, sat the case that Purifor had brought him. Before he could talk himself out of it, before he could worry about the consequences, Quentin grabbed the case and quickly returned to the salon. Massal was waiting. The worker looked so tired. I will go to Greedock, Quentin said. And when I do... He opened the black case, held it out so Massal could see the contents. I'm going to use this on him. Inside the clear vial, the gold-flecked fluid sparkled. A flurry of colors hurricaned across Massal's cornea. So many and so fast, Quentin couldn't catch them all. Among them he saw the saturated blue of pure fear, the green of stress or suspicion, and the black of rage. How dare you, Massal said. How dare you? Quentin had never heard such fury in the worker's voice. You are not quith, Massal said. You are not of my kind. You aren't even allowed to possess that, let alone threaten its use against a valued leader. Do you realize that if you lay eyes upon a queen... 
every quiff will try to kill you on the spot. That includes Chodo. That includes me. I would be obligated to take your life, Chodo had said. I'm aware. Masal, I'm telling you now, as your friend, that this is what I'm going to do. And because you are my friend, I am asking for your help. Masal's petty palp hands twitch, as if they were about to grab for the vial. Quentin calmly closed the case, saving them both the embarrassment of such an attempt. Masal slid off the chair. He stood there, glaring, the riot of colors storming across his eye. Quentin, you are not my friend. Quentin drew in a breath, surprised that the use of his first name could hurt. Masal had always called him by a term of respect, usually the incorrect elder. The use of Quentin was a subtle yet powerful signal. No friend would ask this of another, Masal said. This request demonstrates that you think of me as an asset, something to be used, which makes you just like Greedock. Quentin felt a flush of anger, anger he wanted to let blossom so it would crowd out his instant shame. But the shame held firm. That's, that's not how I meant it. That does not matter. One's meaning can be camouflaged by intentions, but what you ask for reveals your essence. You are justifying your actions because you believe you are better than Greedock. In truth, you and he are the same. Quentin had made his play. That play had been poorly drawn out and badly executed. The scramble was over. He had been sacked, put down hard. I am your friend, Masal. I will always be your friend, even if you aren't mine. The worker's cornea swirled with purple, perhaps the hardest emotion for Quentin to see, for the color represented sadness, anguish, and confusion. And if I tell Greedock about your plan because it is my duty to do so? The worker broke eye contact, looked away. Will you still be my friend, then? Quentin said nothing. The logical part of his mind told him to kill Masal right then and there. It was the only way to truly protect Becca and the baby, to protect his friends and family. But that emotional side, that fuzzy part with no fixed shape, no easy answers, it wouldn't let him lift a finger against the worker. That side remembered Masal's endless kindness, his patient advice, his selfless nature. Without Masal, would Quentin have made it this far? Quentin couldn't say for sure, and in that spot of doubt lay the answer. Yes, Masal. If you tell Greedock because you have no choice, because that is who you are, and he kills me because of it, even then, I will die knowing I am your friend. The cornea flooded solid purple. That color. A window to Masal's pain. Pain that resonated inside of Quentin brought tears to his eyes. Masal held out one petty palp hand. I will give you one chance to be free of this crime. Give me the gibble juants. I will remove it from the ship. As long as you eliminate whoever provided it to you, no one will ever know you possessed it. Let me take it, and we can pretend that this never happened. This was Greedock the Splithead they were dealing with. Quentin needed every available option, 
every weapon he could get his hands on. I'll hold on to it, Quentin said. Massal's cornea changed to a new color, the blue-violet of disgust. Goodbye, Quentin. The worker left the salon. Quentin felt like he'd been punched in the chest. He sat heavily on the couch, felt tears cooling on his cheeks. Massal thought that Quentin was no different from Greedock. The worker was wrong, but Quentin had to admit, maybe not by very much. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.